Well, good morning again, everyone, and to those of you who came uh, just right after the announcements. Um, I want to share one more announcement uh, before we begin, and that is to let you all know that on February the 11th at 5 o'clock, uh, we are going to have kind of a congregational gathering, if you will. We did this a couple of years ago. If you were here, you may recall it. We, we started out in the gym uh, where we had a, a wonderful meal, and uh, over about, and about 30 or 45 minutes later, we all came in here into the sanctuary, and it's kind of an opportunity for us just to hear a little bit more about what's going on at ZPC. And so we're going to gather, we'll uh, sing a couple of songs, we will hear from the, the finance team how things are going there, we'll hear from the generosity team, we'll hear from, uh, from Pastor Scott talking about some of the different things that's going on, some personnel kind of uh, staffing things that are going on. Um, we will also hear from, a, uh, from one, of our, one of the guys at the Jeremiah House, he's going to give his testimony, which is great. If you don't know what the Jeremiah House is, I'm not going to tell you. Come on February 11th and you will find out. Um, and then also I'll get a little bit of a chance just to talk about how I feel like that where we are, where we're going. So I encourage you to do that. Now you have to RSVP to that. So uh, your information is in your bulletin, but uh, we would love to have you uh, be here. We'll be out by seven o'clock. So five to seven, no matter what, at seven o'clock, you just get up and leave. But there will be dessert out in the gathering space after that. So uh, we invite you to then go out after that. So I just want to let you know that. Um, so please, on February 11th, uh, please come here and uh, let's be together and hear more about what's going on here at ZPC. All right, so we're continuing now. This is the, what is this, the third week, I believe, in our series of the, looking at the story of Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, and so I'm excited about the passage today. It's a great story. It's one, probably the story that I remember most from when I was a child about this particular, uh, the story of Jacob. And so let's jump in, and we're in the 27th chapter of Genesis. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called his elder son Esau and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, See, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Then prepare for me savory food such as I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me savory food to eat that I may bless you before the, uh, before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my word as I command you. Go to the flock, get me two choice kids so that I may prepare them for savory food for your father, such as he likes, and you shall take it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to his mother, Rebekah, look, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a man of smooth skin. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my word and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took, took the best garments of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. And she put the skins of the kids on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. 
Then she handed the savory food and the bread that she had prepared to her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come here, come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went up to his father Isaac, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's hands, so he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau came in from his hunting. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we give you praise this morning for the ways in which you continually speak to us. That those, these, though these stories, Lord, were uh, from so long ago, how the truth that they speak continue to speak into our lives today. May your spirit be upon us, Lord, that we may hear what you would have to say to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So as I said before the scripture passage, this is probably the, the, the story of the Jacob story that I recall uh, most vividly. I, I'm not sure why, but it always has stood out to me. It, you know, it might be because, I mean, I, I remember being unsettled even as a youngster over how, the, over how Rebecca and Isaac treated one another. I remember thinking about my own mom and dad when I heard this when I was probably five or six years old and just thinking something wasn't quite right. This wasn't how moms and dads we're supposed to treat one another, it seemed to me. Uh, or it also could be because there's so much suspense. I mean, even now, when I, when I watch a drama or something on TV, I get very anxious, right, in these kind of moments. And I can remember thinking, hurry up, eat, drink, get out. Esau is going to be here at any moment, and he will beat you, right? And so I remember feeling that kind of anxiety. And so there's an emotional connection. Um, it could also be, of course, simply because he got to put on a costume 
costume, right? And when you're a kid, you love costumes, right? And what a costume this is that he has to put on actual animal fur in order to feel like Esau. This is a hairy dude, right? I mean, it makes sense why they keep bringing this up, but I mean, this is a lot of hair, right? I mean, I was thinking about this and I was reminded of one of my, uh, one of my wife's favorite stories uh, that I love is, is, is when she was a kid, she went to California on a family vacation and they were at the beach. Maybe I've told you this before. And, 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 there, and there was a guy there with a really, really hairy back. I mean, a really hairy back. But there was like one patch of it like this that was shaved. And then at the top of it, there was a tattoo of a lawnmower, um, which is... <laughs> Embrace the hair. I mean, I love that, right? So, I mean, that's probably what Esau would have done, right? If he could have done that, if they had lawnmowers back then, maybe he had like a goat tattooed to the back or something. I don't know. But, but there's just, so there's just this kind of, it's very intriguing uh, story. But surely, you know, as we think about this now as adults, there's probably more to it than just that. Isaac is getting old, Right, I love the verbiage here that his eyes were growing dim. Right, it's beautiful imagery, and so he's ready to give a blessing. Now, there's some discrepancy, some you know disagreement on what exactly that blessing is. I mean, what is the blessing? Is it is it just a, a kind of a uh, a spoken word that confirms a birthright, a birthright which, of course, Esau, if you were here last week, has already lost? Is it kind of a last will and testament, or? Or are these just kind of final words that you want to hear from a father before he passes away? Whatever it is, it's clear that what's most important is that it was some kind of spoken word that was going to breathe some kind of life, some kind of future into one of his sons. So Isaac calls out to Esau and says, you know, come here. Here's what I want you to do. Go get some game. Go out there. Find an animal. Bring it back in. And then I will give you your blessing. Now, it's interesting, it's been pointed out, because this was done in some secrecy, it seems. I mean, they tried to do it almost quietly, and these things were usually much more public, and there had to be a witness in order to really confirm it, right? But in this family full of trickery and tomfoolery, it is not all that surprising, perhaps, that they would try to do this in secret, that that Isaac would know that maybe something might happen, something might go awry, and so you do it as quietly as is possible, Except, of course, for the fact that Rebecca did hear. Uh, one of the things that you always know is that if you are in a household full of secrets and cunning and suspicion, that there are always listening ears. And sure enough, Rebecca hears what's going on, and so she quickly goes out and gets Jacob. And uh, again, it's fascinating to see the verbiage that she says, right? She says, your father is going to give a blessing to your brother, right? There's no sense. There's this depersonalization, right? Not like my husband is going to give a blessing to my eldest son. It's your, it's your, and I don't know why that is. Maybe, maybe you have to depersonalize it in order to be able to pull something like this off against your husband or your son, or maybe it's just a, a sign of how fractured the family is. We don't know for sure. What we do know, and let me do this shameless plug here, is that on March 24th, We have a parenting conference, and I want you to know that neither Isaac nor Rebecca are leading that parenting conference, both because they are dead and because you don't want to learn how to parent from them, 
right? You've got this complete fracture, it seems. Jacob is concerned. Jacob says, no, 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 I can't do this. You know, you want me to do what? You want me to go out and get a game? You want me to, to come back? I, you know, you know, again, right, embrace the hair. You know how hairy my brother is. There's no way. She says, don't worry about it. I got this whole thing figured out. You just do what I tell you to do, and we'll get it. And if there is a curse, I will take the curse upon myself. And so Jacob does that. He goes out. He gets the goat or the kids, I guess. He, he goes and then she cooks up this, this great meal Rebecca does. He gets his costume on and then full of anxiety. You can only imagine he walks in to see his father. Now his father, again, his eyes are growing dim. He can't see well but he seems to be remarkably suspicious. Now, why is it? Can he see well enough that it doesn't look like Jacob? Or is it simply that he all, or it doesn't look like Esau? Or is it that he simply knows that in this family, things are never as they seem? And so he says to him, who are you, my son? And Jacob says, well, I'm, you know me, I'm, I'm Isaac, I'm your, I'm your firstborn, you know, or I'm Esau, I can't ever get these words right, I'm Esau, I'm your firstborn, you know me. Jacob tries to quickly assure him, but it's not working, and, 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 so, and so Isaac says, well, how did you get the game so quickly, how did you find that animal, you're good, but this is really good, right, and, and so Jacob says, well, you know, your God must have just, you know, blessed me. It was amazing. There it was. I got it and I'm back. Can we, you know, can we, can we kind of move on? But Isaac clearly is still not yet convinced. Apparently he begins to touch his hands because he says, well, your voice, your voice sounds like Jacob, but you are hairy just like my eldest. But he's still not convinced. So he says again, are you really Esau? Jacob says, well, of course I am. Come on, eat. Let's, let's get on with this. Here's, there's food. Here's wine. And so they do the food. They do the wine. And then, he, and then Isaac pulls Jacob close to him. He kisses him and he smells him. Do you get the fact that he has used all five senses to try to verify? He tries to see, right? He hears that it sounds like Jacob. He touches his hand. He smells the garment. He tasted the food to see whether or not it tastes like food that Esau would have made. He does all of these things. And even though perhaps he has a fair amount of ambiguity, he moves forward and he blesses Jacob as if he were Esau. And I picture it that there are two doors in the room. And just as Jacob takes one step out of the room, Esau takes a step in. It's this kind of riveting kind of drama, if you will, that's easily kind of put to television or to a movie. And the question again is, what, are, what, what is it supposed to teach us today, right? Again, this is about more than just how hairy somebody is or more than about the, just the suspense and a good story that entertains us. What, what, what exactly is this story have to say to us Today, I, I think one of the things, and this is a theme I've already touched on, but it's a very important one to me, is the fact that this is a reminder of just how dysfunctional and broken Jacob and Esau's family is, and yet how God continues to use 
them for his purposes. That even though it is full of brokenness and sin and lies and secrets, that God can still use them. When I first heard this as a kid, quite frankly, I just thought it sounded weird. As I already mentioned that the mom and dad were kind of, you know, didn't get along. That felt weird. As I got older, and as I understood and began to experience the own dysfunction and the secrets in my own family, I realized at long last that the story is an invitation to all of us. That whether or not you have come from a family that looks like the Cleaver family, wasn't that the name of them? That was a little bit before my time. Or whether or not you know you have that perfect kind of family or whether, like the vast majority of us, you come from a family that is broken and dysfunctional, that that is an invitation. This story is an invitation to all of us to say that God can use all of us. And in those moments when I was most devastated by the things going on within my family and wondering where God was. It was stories like this that were God whispering into my ear to say, you are not alone and I will still use you. Another part of this story that I think is important, Walter Brueggemann points this out, is that It reminds us of the importance of passing down a blessing from one generation to the next. Sometimes amidst the drama, you could easily overlook this fact, but just how important it is the cross-generational blessings of either handing something down or, and this is also important, a younger generation handing something up to the generation above it. In our culture, we don't do a very good job of being cross-generational. We tend to kind of silo off in our own generations. And there's a lot of that that's okay. You know, I mean, the older saints, they need other older saints to show their pictures of their grandchildren to, right? They, they like that, right? And that's, that's fun. Not everybody wants to see pictures of your grandchildren. I, I want to see pictures of your grandchildren. But not everybody else does. But those of that generation, they love it here. And then to complain, right? Oh, why don't we ever get to, we don't get to see them nearly as much as we would like right? And this is what happens. You know, my generation, you know, that have, you know, still kids at home, you know, we, we need other parents with whom we can kind of talk to and, and, and be entertained and talk about the life, what's going on, and then to complain about what it's like having to raise kids these days and how, how difficult, how exhausting that is, right? That's really important, right? To people maybe who are younger, maybe they're not married or maybe they don't have kids, you know, they need, they still have Friday nights, you know? I remember having Friday nights. It was great, you know, but they still have Friday nights where they don't have to pay a babysitter or anything, right? They can just be free, right? And, and, and they need to be able to do that and then complain about how their peers who are married or have kids, that's all they can talk about. It's just so annoying, right? Or, you know, younger folks, they need, they need to have, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the same thing, social media, all these other things. They need to have those connections and then, you know, kind of complain about their parents and how strict their parents are, right? I mean, what really keeps these generations together mostly is complaining about other generations. And there's part of that that's okay, But that said, we have to be intentional as well, just as we see Isaac is trying to do to one of his sons about being able to hand something, about saying that we have something to learn from one another. And far too often the church has not done a very good job of being countercultural in this way. 
In two weeks from today, at this service, at the nine o'clock service, we'll do the third grade Bible dedication, right? Where parents or adults will stand up here and will hand down a Bible. I get to do it this year for the first time to my eldest. I'm very excited about that. And, and we get together, there's a sense of kind of handing something down, of saying, this is important. This is pointing to, to Christ and, and, and this is important, right? And as we talk about quite a bit with our covenant children, we believe that they have something to teach us as well, right? We will have something to teach them. They will have something to teach us, right? It's this important kind of cross-generational that we cannot forget, it seems to me. The elders have, have wisdom and experience and tradition to hand down. The younger generations have energy and passion and new ideas and imagination to pass up. And whenever it is that we completely silo ourselves off, we are not living into the people that God has called us to be. But perhaps the greatest thing that can either be handed down or handed up are the words that we use to speak to one another. When I was originally going to do this passage today, this part of the story, I was going to keep it to verses 1 through 29 or 30. It's the part that I just read to you. I was going to do that for a couple of reasons. First of all, because it was already lengthy enough, right? And I know how hard it is to pay attention uh, to, a, to someone when they're just reading Scripture. But also, it was because I hadn't really thought that much about verses 30 through 40. I, I'd almost forgotten about it. In fact, I was talking to another staff member this, uh, uh, this past week who she was also raised in the church, and she said, you know what, I, I kind of forgot about this part of the story, and I don't know why that is. I don't know. It has to do with Esau. Maybe we think this is the story of Jacob, so we don't even think about Esau. Maybe it's that the Sunday school teacher just didn't bring it up, uh, but they omitted it just like I almost omitted it. I don't, I don't know why, but as I've looked over verses 30 through 40 over the last two or three weeks, I realized what a powerful scene that is. And so I want to read it to you. It'll be up on the screen. And this is from the message. This is how Eugene Peterson puts it. Reiterating verse 30, it says, And then right after Isaac had blessed Jacob, and Jacob had left, Esau showed up from the hunt. He also had prepared a hearty meal. He came to his father and said, let my father get up and eat of his son's game that he may give me his personal blessing. His father Isaac said, and who are you? I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. And Isaac started to tremble. Shaking violently, he said, then who hunted game and brought it to me? I, I finished the meal just now before you walked in, and I blessed him. He's blessed for good. Esau, hearing his father's words, sobbed violently and most bitterly and cried to his father, My father, can't you also bless me? Your brother... Isaac said, came here falsely and took your blessing. And Esau said, not for nothing was he named Jacob, the heel. Twice now he's tricked me. First he took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. He begged, haven't you kept back any blessing for me? 
Isaac answered Esau, I've made him your master and all his brothers, his servants and lavished grain and wine on him. I've given it all away. What's left for you, my son? But don't you have just one blessing for me, father? Oh, bless me, my father, bless me. And Esau sobbed inconsolably. Isaac said to him, you will live far from the earth's bounty, remote from heaven's dew. You'll live by your sword, hand to mouth, and you will serve your brother. But when you can't take it anymore, you will break loose and run free. What an intensely powerful scene this is. The elder brother comes in, the emotions, the crying, the begging. Don't you have just one more blessing for me, Father? I mean, as you listen to the story, I mean, you can't help but say, come on, Isaac, you left something for him, didn't you? Can't you give him just something? Speak one word of blessing to him, please, Isaac. It would be easy, I suppose, to think that all that that Esau is wanting right here is just inheritance, just stuff, if you will. But again, Esau knows on the one hand, of course, that he's already given up his birthright. He's given up the vast majority of his inheritance. And as we'll see in several weeks, Esau actually ends up doing okay for himself. He ends up having quite a bit of bounty himself. But I think what is most critical here is that Esau, or what's most critical is that Esau needs to hear some kind of blessing from his father, some kind of spoken word, something that gives life to his future. One commentator points out that spoken words shape human life. And they can either give you a future or they can hold you in the past. No one wants to live an unblessed life. And one of the greatest ways that we can bless is in the ways that we speak to those we love. And one of the greatest ways that we can curse is the way that we speak or do not speak to those we love. I don't think it was just a coincidence that just this week I heard from a ZPCer, a man who's probably in his mid-50s or so, and he was telling me about how he had been raised up and, and he and his father had just never gotten along. For some reason, you know, and he can try to guess it out, for some reason it just, they had never gotten along. And about 30 years ago, when this man was in, when the ZPCer was in his mid-20s, his father was dying. He was in his bedroom on his deathbed. And his mother came into the living room where this ZPCer was, and he said, you know, your dad wants to see you. You can imagine, after having lived 25 or 26, 27 years, where you know that there's just something wrong, that, that you've never quite been received, that this is, for some reason the love hadn't quite been there. You can imagine the emotions, right? The, the emotions of, of walking in there and wondering, what is it going to be? What's he going to say? And he walked into that room, and his father looked at him and said, What are you doing here? I don't want to see you. Get out. 
hear those words, and I can only imagine, much like Esau sitting there begging for just one word. And again, not long before that conversation, another conversation with a man who was mourning the fact that his father had never said that he loved him, never said that he was proud of him. And now that he'd passed on, he knew that he never would. And it is so striking to me, the power of an exhale. The power of exhaling breath and forming with your tongue, with your teeth, and with your lips words that can either give a future or can keep you stuck in a painful past. The power of words to either give you hope or to help you to feel rejected and left behind forever. Simple words are really never just simple. I think in many ways, that's probably what precipitated the comments I made about what our president allegedly said uh, a couple of weeks ago. I knew that when I stood up here before the prayer and said something about those remarks, I knew that there would be uh, some, at least some, who would not like the fact that I had done that. The reason why I did it, though, is I was really thinking in many ways about this passage today, about the reality that I know how our words can shape us, how our words can shape how we see others, can shape how we understand our world and understand the future. I knew that there would be some, perhaps, that wouldn't be pleased with the fact that I had done something that seemed too political, perhaps. But it felt like, I felt like, I continued to do, that I needed to be able to say that. But what I want you to know this morning, I want all of you to know, because you don't get my phone calls and you don't receive my emails. I want you to know that by and large, the negative response that I got to that was incredibly actually thoughtful And that people crafted their words. They had clearly thought things through. That that, that predominantly they had not come at me kind of trying to attack me or saying anything about me negatively as much as saying, look, this this is our concern about that. In fact, one of them really stood out to me. It was a very well thought out email and I read through it and there were parts of it that I I thought, well, that's that's a good point. And there were parts of it that I disagreed with. But what was most significant was what came at the very end. Because at the very end, as he kind of signed off, he said this. He said, thank you for listening to my email and for being my pastor. Thank you for being my pastor. Now, I don't know if you can fully appreciate just how meaningful that phrase was. It was just five words. Thanks for being my pastor. And yet, right, 
in a world where when we have a disagreement, we are no holds barred and it is all of a sudden you have become the enemy. To be able to know that here is someone with whom we may not agree on this particular issue, but at the end of the day, when he looks at me, he says, you are my pastor, you are my brother in Christ. Now look, if his email had said to me, you know, hey, you're a moron, um, but thanks for being my pastor, it would not have had much of an impact. But because of the fact that it was thought out and that it was a meaningful challenge and that he ended that way, what it did was it gave me a sense that there is hope for the future. Right? That no matter what, no matter how we may disagree, that there is still hope for us together in relationship. I want you to know this. This may surprise me. You and I will not always agree on things. And if you find yourself agreeing with me on everything, it probably means that you are not following Jesus, but that you are following me. And that is never a good thing. And I also want you to know that you will not always agree with one another. But my hope and my prayer is that we can all agree That no matter where we may be or whatever it is that we may be thinking or what we are disagreeing on, that we will always speak words of blessing in the midst of that disagreement. That doesn't mean that we act like we agree on everything, but it does mean that at the end of the day, we always remember we are not brothers and sisters of Jacob and Esau. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And we have a remarkable amount of power in the way that we speak to one another. We can either give blessing or we can curse. This week, my hope and my prayer is that we will begin to ask ourselves some questions. Perhaps this week, perhaps the challenge this week is for you. Maybe you struggle. I struggle with this at times. Struggle with being able to give encouragement to people, right? With with saying, you know what? I care about you no matter what. I love you. With being able to just simply voice. Maybe we think about it. I think fathers, I hear fathers doing this all the time. And I don't mean to stereotype, but but I see it so often with fathers. You know, they will brag on their children about, you know, all the time to other people. but won't actually say it to their own children. So maybe this is the week, if you're a father or a mother who struggles with that, maybe this is the week to just say, I just want you to know I love you. Or Maybe you've gotten into some kind of spat over something with somebody. And in the midst of that disagreement and that argument, you realize that you had forgotten, especially if they were a follower of Jesus, that you had forgotten that this is a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe this is the week when you need to go and say, I am sorry that we have cursed our future and I want to try to give it some hope. And even though maybe we still won't agree on this, I want you to know that first and foremost, you are my brother, you are my sister, and I love you. Or maybe... Maybe this week is a time for you to wrestle with forgiving somebody who never blessed you and you know they should have. I have seen far too many people's futures cast asunder because they could not get over the fact that a parent or someone else did not give them words of blessings. 
perhaps this is the time for us to be able to finally, as difficult as it may be, and even if they are already gone, to try and forgive so that you might be able to move toward a more hopeful future. Sisters and brothers, our words are so powerful. We can give blessing or we can curse. We will not always be in agreement. But I do believe that the Spirit of God can work in such a way, I am convinced of it, no matter how difficult it may be, that even in the most challenging of conversations, that there is always opportunity to bless. So my hope and my prayer is that we are a people whose words will draw others closer to Christ, not further away. And that we will be known as a people who bless one another in our actions and with our words. That others might receive the healing that comes only from knowing that they are loved by God that they are loved by us. It's the power of a blessing. May we have the courage to speak those words in a world that is desperate to hear what it means to be loved. Let us pray. God, far too often we are so shaped by the society around us. A society which is quick to shun, to judge, to move past, to feel better about itself. Lord, I confess as someone who speaks far too often that my words with great frequency are not the encouragement that you would desire them to be. So I pray, Lord, for all of us. Give us the strength to remember the importance of a blessing. Those who mourn having been cursed, that you would give them the strength to forgive, that all of us would know that we are sisters and brothers in Christ. For your glory, amen and amen.